Hello to our listeners. Welcome to the Women Governance Trailblazers podcast, where we listen to the journeys of trailblazing women in the corporate governance field, their passion, struggles, and commitment to improving how companies and boards function. My name is Courtney Camlet, and my co-host is Liz Dunchy. Hi, everyone. Liz and I are both super passionate about governance, and we want to spotlight some of the amazing women who share that passion. We're connecting with guests from different paths and industries to hear their perspectives on what surprised them in their career and where they think the field of corporate governance is going. For this episode, we're talking with Laura Zizzo, co-founder of Manifest Climate. Welcome, Laura. Hi, thanks for having me. We're so glad you're here. Yes, Courtney and I are so excited to talk with you, Laura. So you began your career, like many of our listeners, um, and like myself, in a law firm, but then you went on to found the first law firm in Canada focused on climate change in 2009. Um, That was kind of a long time ago, and it was early days in terms of investors and companies starting to recognize how climate risk factors into business decisions. And it was really before there was much momentum for tracking and disclosing emissions and other environmental data. So you were a real trailblazer there. Uh, We would love to hear more about the kind of work that you were doing and how that ultimately led you to co-found the business that you currently run, Manifest Climate. Yeah, well, thanks for the question and the opportunity. Um, So I went to law school because I was worried about climate change. So I was studying um, ecology and economics. I had an interdisciplinary undergrad and my ecology prof actually was like, have you thought about law school? So I went at it thinking about how do we use law and policy for um, dealing with environmental issues and and in particular climate. And I was really fortunate to in my undergrad learn about climate from some early scientists that were, were talking about it then and was part of the Canadian youth delegation. I'm based in Toronto actually. And, um, when in, going to the UNFCCC, like the cops that we hear about now, the one that we just had um, in Egypt, so early days, and we did the math, right? In 2050, I was going to be 68, <laughs> so now everyone knows how old I am, and <laughs> I was like, "This is my career. Huh, I'm yeah. going to get to net zero by 2050. Like, what am I going to do about it?" And so, in my early 20s. I, I tried to do law uh, the regular way, big law firm talking about climate, and I was an environmental regulatory lawyer and there wasn't any regulation. <laughs> so my, my, uh, the partners that I worked with basically said, you know, you're busy doing your environmental regulatory memos, like just keep doing that. And I said, I can always come back to this, but I really want to work on climate. So I'm going to try to start my own law firm that just works on climate change. And it ended up actually looking a little bit more like a consulting firm. (laughs) Like we were actually competing against consultants more than lawyers because there wasn't law for for clients. So, and then the law that we did do was, you know, emissions trading uh, agreements or um, helping people buy and sell carbon credits, doing innovative contracting around reducing emissions and getting paid back over time or reducing energy use. Um, And then I started going back into the first principles of law, which is where, you know, the governance aspects came in when we talk about reasonable foreseeability, you know, when we talk about what actually matters, what are what are our obligations to each other? And then when you put climate change on that, you're like, okay, maybe if we start talking it, about it like this, mm. about sort of the obligations we have, fiduciary duties, and um, just a lack of negligence that is expected. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you actually say what we know about climate change, there's something there. So that sort of got me started thinking about doing things a bit differently. Fascinating. I love that. Yeah. 
So what decision useful tools does Manifest Climate provide to companies and how have you seen corporate needs evolve over the last few years? Yeah, Manifest Climate is a, um, a climate risk planning tool. So we're helping companies think and act with a climate lens. And it allows our clients to understand, manage, and communicate climate risks in line with industry expectations and the emerging regulatory requirements. So we're thinking about what matters to your business from a business perspective about climate, and how do you talk about that in a way that is consistent with what the expectations from the SEC or the TCFD, which we might talk about later, um, are asking. And it's all about governance, strategy, risk management, and metrics and targets. But the thing that Manifest Climate does that I'm super excited about when I, I, you know, you realize public companies are disclosing this in the public realm. We have access to the best thinking that they're talking about. Let's curate this mm. and bring it to the client so that they can benchmark and move faster. So can we use the power of transparency in the capital markets to not only inform investors, but to inform companies themselves about how they should be thinking about this and move faster altogether? That's really um, interesting. So what types of companies and people are you working with now? Yeah, it really varies um, sector and company sizes. And oh, that's part of the reason, like I, I, we raised a couple of rounds of venture financing and it's like the market is really big because every public company needs to do this, right? And so we're working with publicly traded companies and financial institutions across a, a number of sectors from credit unions to clothing brands, um, banks and mining companies, real estate firms. And I think our our main kind of client base is those that have know that they have to deal with this, but don't have a huge team internally to deal with this. And we can support those teams to actually understand what they need to do and how they can move faster. Seeing more private companies get into this space as well, because their stakeholders are driving them to, to do more disclosures similar to what public companies have and targets. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so they can actually come on the Manifest Climate platform and, and get the benefit of seeing how public companies are talking about this in their space and actually um, be able to, to do similar actions. They may not have the same disclosure obligations, but investors are asking questions and, and those same elements are required for all companies. Yeah. And the public companies are asking their suppliers and business partners um, to provide the information so that they can report up. So it's going to, as you know, I'm sure, end up being such a, a large universe of companies and organizations that are dealing with this. So Laura, in addition to your passion for corporate governance and climate change, which really comes through here, you clearly also have an entrepreneurial mindset. And as a CEO, um, you know, a lot of our listeners are in the legal services industry or in the consulting industry and, and providing services to people like you. So as a CEO, what do you find most valuable when you're on the other side of the table from your own legal service providers? It's a great question. And it is fun because I can empathize uh, as being on the other side of the table. And at the time, I don't know if some of you resonate that are listening. It's always like, oh, I'm just advising. I'm not doing right. And so now to be on the other side and being like, I'm now doing and I get other people to advise me. So I think that the, uh, the having that pragmatic advice, you know, and knowing that someone else has the details because I'm thinking about the big picture and understanding like, what do I need to pay attention to? And they flag that for me. That's really helpful because I'm not, 
I don't have the time and I'm probably not going to read all the details, but I feel like I should, I'm a lawyer. So when these, um, when my external counsel, like in, whether it be IP or corporate counsel is saying, we've got this, here's what I really want your eyes on. Here's what you should be thinking about and thinking about it in the context of my business, not just, you know, the details because yeah. a high growth startup, there's a lot to pay attention to. And legal issues can often be really complex and slow down how fast we want to move. So it's like, I know this could be red flag. We're willing to take a risk. And just having the ability to say like, what really do we need to pay attention to? So I call it triaging, like the legal issues, triaging and trusting that external counsel has what's really important. And we might not be able to cover everything to stay as fast and nimble as we really want to. Yeah, I like that. Triage and trust. Trust goes in. Yeah, good cost-benefit analysis there. Exactly. So in addition to being a CEO now, you've held leadership roles at several key organizations in the climate change space and are very connected. How have you chosen where to spend your time and talent? Because I'm sure you're getting pulled in a lot of directions. Yeah, I mean, it goes back to caring about this issue and thinking about what, how do I work on what matters. So I started working with governments and working on major policy developments and research. And then it came down to... I think we actually have to empower corporate decision makers with more information and understand that this is their problem, right? Um, they need to understand climate to drive the understanding as a business risk throughout the economy and making it not just environmental or sustainable, but business, right? So when I realize I'm, we're not going to get the policy we desperately need unless businesses are begging for it. So I kind of moved out of working on policy work because I, I tried to, you know, help with designing cap and trade systems and doing different things like that. And I realized it's at the whim of um, governments and the governments need to be pushed by corporate actors. So it's really a way I saw to depoliticize things and really make it about business risk and opportunity. And we're certainly seeing that. Like I've had discussions with CEOs of companies that you'd be very surprised that we're talking about climate. And they're saying, no matter if we kind of quote unquote believe, there is clear headwinds and tailwinds and we need to respond to this to stay in business. So um, as much as I'm like intellectually curious about other things, I think I've just been pulled to simplifying it, connecting, connecting the dots and helping people understand like, how do you make better business decisions that um, take into consideration the climate crisis that we're in? In your career, have you had one particular mentor or any type of salient advice that has really stuck with you? Uh, so many amazing mentors. When I first started uh, the law firm, I was in my 20s, right? When I started my first law wow. firm. And I just realized, you know, I'm going to ask for help. And I just like asked people for help and people responded. <laughs> you know, when you actually come at it with a, like a good intention and authenticity, it shows and, and people are very generous with their time and their advice for me throughout my career. And that continues. Um, one of my mentors right now, he's actually on our board. And I'm like, I can't believe this guy is on our board. And he, you know, has time for me. And he says a really important and simple piece of advice that really took to heart, which is you're your own greatest asset, right? Mm -hmm. Invest in yourself. Hmm. And be selfish about how you spend your time. And he was saying to that, that to me as a CEO and not saying like, go for more spa days, but like, what meetings do you really need to take? If your right. time is your biggest asset, if you're your biggest asset for the company or your own business, your own career, it's true, whether you're a CEO or, or not, how are you investing in yourself as your greatest asset? Um, and I just think about that now as a lens with all the decisions I'm making, like, is this investing in me 
um, as the biggest asset that we have at Manifest Climate right now is this investing in me as someone who needs to stay healthy and um, relevant for my family. And then if it's not, then maybe it doesn't get the investment, right? Yeah, yeah. That is great advice. And and you can tell that you've taken it to heart with many of your answers to the questions we've asked. I mean, it, um, like I said earlier, it's, you are spread so thin, but it sounds like you are being very deliberate and choosing where to spend your time and what to focus on. And, and you're seeing the results from that. So um, it's working. <laughs> Congratulations. You know, one day at a time. But... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And it sounds like that could also lead to some additional delegation. So where, you know, like yeah. it's important, but this person could handle it and, you know, help opportunities for growth. Grow. Yeah. Yeah. For yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and knowing when to lean in and when you don't need to, you know, and yeah. that's really, as we grow, like we went from at the beginning of the pandemic, we had 12 people that worked uh, here and now there's about 70. So wow. the amount of, you know, growth that you've seen and what my role is and can I actually talk to everyone? So knowing that I just have to have my list, you know, another piece of advice from um, a great CEO here in Canada said, have your list of like what functional things need to get done and can you put a check beside them either you or someone else yeah. and hopefully you get to the point where it's someone else that's giving you comfort that there's a check for all the things that are important to, t to pay attention to um, and if you can't put that check beside that thing that's where you lean and yeah. so it's just all always about like reforecasting, re-identifying um, what's important and um and then just leaning in where you need to and know that you can't lean everywhere you can only yeah lean yeah you'll lose your balance. <laughs> uh, that's very practical. I like that. So how do you distill down why it is so important to focus on climate change and governments? Yeah, the governance issue, it's funny. There's like a meme at Manifest Climate. My my uh, colleagues say, you know, Laura always says it starts with governance. And I do <laughs> believe that. I do believe it starts with governance. It doesn't start with counting your emissions. Hmm. And like when we think deeply about that, it's like it doesn't really matter what the numbers are if you don't know what your strategy to get to nothing is. Yeah. Right. Like we're moving so quick to nothing that this is not an accounting exercise anymore. This is a strategic exercise. Yeah. And it's really about change management in a changing climate. Like if we think about the scale of this problem, it's managed through strategy, right? Not through marginal abatement. Yeah. And so these problems are so significant and the climate, if you think about it as a threat multiplier, it needs clear executive oversight, um, strategy and management. And even at the board level, at the end of the, of the day, the, the board is responsible for these issues and for the disclosures to stakeholders. And it's not something you can delegate to a mid-level sustainability rep, right? Like we need to now think this is a board issue. This is a C-suite issue. And then it's everyone within the organization understanding how they're going to support the move to net zero and the, the need to adapt to a changing climate. Like everything we knew and base assumptions on is not correct. So this is a this is yeah. clearly a governance um, strategic issue. Yeah, the assumptions point is a really important thing because that ripples through so many other business strategies. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And when they get it, they get it. Right. And so you're starting to see, you're starting to see really good questions. Like I remember I was giving um, a discussion to a board of an insurance company many years ago, and it was still before, like, do we need to talk about climate change? Let's get an expert in to talk about climate change with us. And like, I just saw the light bulbs, like literally go off in their mm -hmm. heads saying, 
oh, this is our issue. Like mm-hmm. we manage risk. Yeah. And climate is all about risk. So I think people are starting to understand that. I'm glad that like the reporting frameworks that are coming out are actually more about that, the strategic oversight and the governance elements, not just, you know, here's the checkbox things we expect. Yeah. Yeah, Governance truly is sort of the umbrella over everything, even though it comes at the end of the E, S, and G, it really should be sort of over the top. Yeah, exactly. So a question that we ask all of our podcast um, participants is what excites you the most about the future of governance? And what do you think women in the corporate governance field can add to the current conversation on the societal role of companies? Yeah, it's it's a great question. And I I kind of like reject sometimes the like woman being a woman thing. Like I, I know it's brought me a lot of opportunities. Like uh, the lead investor in our last round of financing was actually a woman fund. It was like they they only invested in in women led companies. So I know that, you know, there is like any systemic issue, we need directive thought and resources to go into changing the problem, right? And I I think diversity of thought and this approach is really important. In my experience, women are able to see a bigger picture view and connect dots that help us understand that thriving companies are dependent on stability in our natural environment and other aspects we've often thought are outside of like the ambit of corporate consideration. So I think by bringing in this diversity and, and I think we innately have this idea to think bigger picture, um, it just, it's interesting to me that most of the folks in my undergrad, I was telling you, I was studying environmental studies and, and ecology, very swayed towards women. When you look at the sustainability leaders in the market, there is more women. So we've been paying attention to this in in a different way. And it's really important that that comes into the governance um, of companies going forward. And I'm really proud to say that on my board, it's currently chaired by an extraordinary woman, Linda Nantia. And we make sure that we have good representation in our senior leadership team and on our board. And that's not always easy. You know, um, Mm -hmm. it's not always easy. And even for me as, you know, a woman CEO to find other women to join the team, it's, it's not always easy. So we need, there's something systemic there. Um, but it's, uh, I think it's moving in the the right direction, just not fast enough. Yeah. Uh, well, I really like the answer that you gave to that question. So thank you for sharing that perspective, Laura, and thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. This was such a great conversation and we're just so happy you could be here with us. Thank you. I'm really uh, happy to be here. And I love talking about governance. So anytime. Yeah. And our, our listeners love it too. So thank you everyone for joining us for this episode of Women Governance Trailblazers. Please subscribe on whatever platform you use for podcasts. And we would love if you would rate us while you're there. Thanks everyone.